When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. We had a big game in the Premier League, a big result, and now a big podcast breaking it down tactically. I'm Ali Maxwell. Ahmed Walid is here. Hi Ali, how are you? Nice to be back. Hi Michael. Hello. Michael Cox is here. We're going to talk about Manchester City 4, Arsenal 1 from Wednesday night. For many months now, it has been Arsenal and Manchester City. Not so much neck and neck in the league table, but the overall title picture for quite a while now has seemed close to 50-50. It's been intriguing and therefore the games between the two teams were always likely to matter hugely in the outcome of the title race. The first game that they played was a 3-1 win for Manchester City at the Emirates and here a 4-1 win, which puts Man City two points behind Arsenal with two games in hand, heavily favoured now by all models to win a third straight title. Let's talk about the game itself. Uh, Michael Cox, you are not a man prone to exaggeration, uh, but at halftime you tweeted, that's the most dominant first half performance I can remember in a game of this magnitude. Yeah, maybe I should have phrased it slightly differently because obviously there's different types of dominance. I mean, when there's a game like this, I think it's a large part of our job analysing it is to decide to what extent this was the, the winning side being really good and the losing side being really bad. And I think a lot of the things people suggested as alternatives and some perfectly credible ones were more about just like complete collapses from the losing side. So I think of Germany, Brazil in 2014, obviously Germany played very well, but Brazil just had a meltdown. They were complete shambles and I don't think Germany had to do anything special to play around them. But I thought this game, I thought City were brilliant. I thought they had such a, a clear game plan. They had the patience to wait for Arsenal to press, particularly when it was Erdegaard going up to Diaz and then the technical quality to just play through them and in a way there were things they did that was quite basic it was almost a 4-4-2 or 4-2-4 with De Bruyne as a second striker and they played a lot of long balls as well but I thought there was just a real authority and a real confidence to their performance which I, I think is as good as uh, I've seen from a, a city side under Guardiola I thought they were absolutely brilliant in the first half last night it felt a little bit like they had the answers to the exam before they sat the paper. <laughs> and I think some of that, in fact, I know a lot of that from what we heard post-match from Kevin De Bruyne, from Pep Guardiola, and also from, from the pieces that you've written this morning, uh, Michael, and, and plenty else on site, that that was down to the tactical and strategic decisions made by Pep Guardiola uh, in order to take on Arsenal in this game. So, Ahmed, take us back to an hour before kickoff when the lineups came out. What were, at that point, the interesting selection decisions that had been made? What were the surprises across both lineups? Yeah, I think from City's perspective, not having Laporta was was interesting because 
Aki's been there and he's the best left-footed player in the build-up and now Aki's injured, you thought Laporta's going to start. And that was interesting, but Akanji's performances in the last City games and throughout this season has been great off the ball. So defensively, winning 1v1s, winning aerial duels. And actually after the game, when uh, Pep was speaking about this subject, he said that he had doubts because Laporta is the best player in the build-up. However, Akanji's defensive performances, especially against Bayern, in the 1v1s convinced him that he can handle Saka. And he he wanted to stop Saka and Martinelli with Walker and Akanji. Yeah, I think it was quite notable after Laporte came on against Bayern, he just wasn't as mobile, wasn't as comfortable as Ake up against Coman, who was having a really good game. I must admit, I thought, I suspected when the lineups came out that it could have been Walker at left-back. Whoever it was going to be was going to be at left-back for the first time this season. I thought Walker, just with his pace against uh, Saka, could have been quite useful, but it probably made more sense. I mean, he hasn't really played there before. Ikanji's played quite a few different roles this season. And it's just been so consistent. I can barely remember him making a mistake this season. Michael, perhaps we, we shouldn't be too surprised because we've spoken a lot about Pep Guardiola's Man City in the last few weeks on this podcast. We've tracked his evolution uh, a couple of weeks ago with John Muller, a brilliant episode from you guys, which uh, is now a record-breaking episode as well, which is worth a listen after this one. And a big part of our discussion about them this season is, is just how many different ways they seem to be able to play to fit the opposition. So uh, can you break down exactly how this looked uh, for this specific fixture against Arsenal, Guardiola? From what we heard after the game, it feels like the, the changes to the approach that he made were basically out of respect or because of Arsenal's press. You know, the way that Arsenal press the opposition is, is top is class. Honestly, it's it's really, really good. And it's very, it's almost impossible to play from the back, especially when it's a goal kick. It's like a set piece. And we know uh, we had to play longer today. And we Yeah, maybe. That's certainly what, what was said in the interviews. I don't know whether that was the case, but whatever the reason, it certainly confused Arsenal. I mean, it was basically playing with a double pivot with Rodri and, and Gundogan in front of the defence. And De Bruyne is almost a second striker, really. And De Bruyne did an uh, interesting interview with, is it NBC, who have the rights in the US, Um, you know, very clearly spelt out the game plan. He was going to wait for Partey and Xhaka to press high and he was going to wait to see which of them went and find space in behind them. Um, I thought the interesting thing really was that Arsenal had a very clear plan to just allow Diaz to have the ball. I mean, there were quite, there were five or six times in the first half where Diaz literally just gets the ball, traps it, and just nothing happens. Like, no Arsenal players come towards him. And he was kind of trying to bait that press. When it eventually did happen, and it was usually Erdegaard coming forward to close him down, that's when a kind of chain reaction happened. It was almost like a numbers game in the centre of the pitch. There were three Arsenal players, the three midfielders, who were kind of charged with closing down Diaz, Rodri, Gundogan, and then De Bruyne. And De Bruyne was always the one who was, you know, finding space between the lines. There probably was a bit too much space between the lines because Arsenal were scared to push up because of Haaland's pace. But yeah, this, the, the, the same situations basically happened again and again, which is that when Erdegaard went to Diaz, City could find a free man. Usually that was De Bruyne. Sometimes it was longer balls to him. Sometimes they played through the midfield, through Gundogan if he became free. But it's like everything happened in that central area of the pitch. I can't really think of anything significant, you know, when the game was still alive that Bernardo Silva or Jack Grealish contributed. And that's not a criticism of them. They just, they weren't part of the game plan here. They stretched the play well. I can't really remember Ben White or Zinchenko, you know, getting beaten that much. It was just in those central areas 
City just played through Arsenal remarkably easily. Yeah, uh, so many golden nuggets from KDB's post-match. One of them, which I loved, was when he said, it's almost impossible to play at the back against Arsenal. Also said, what we train most is high pressing and goal kicks. Everything in between is a little more free, which I thought was also very interesting. Yeah, I think that's interesting because when you have two big teams like uh, Liverpool versus City in the last few years, Arsenal versus City this year, I think the two main phases that we should focus on in terms of analysis is the build-up and the pressing because both of them want to build up from the back, both of them want to press high. And as Michael explained, this is where City won the game today. In another interview, De Bruyne praised Arsenal's press a lot and Actually, Pep uh, said after the game that when he watched uh, the game at the Emirates last Monday, he realized that City needed to adjust something on the ball. And that tweak is what Michael explained. In the press conference yesterday, Pep said something that I think summarizes him the best. He said, The people say, how are you wanting to play? Tell me how is the opponent going to defend me or attack me. So I think this summarizes Guardiola's ideas. He first sees how the opponent will attack or defend and then according to the qualities of his players he will try to tweak things so for example here Arsenal they wanted to press high so he wanted to use the space behind and use the pace of De Bruyne and Haaland so Michael it basically seems to boil down to because of the outcome here and because of how the game looked and because of the tweaks that Guardiola made it was basically a reactive tactical approach based on the opposition strengths from Guardiola has been the major factor in in them catching Arsenal cold, as well as obviously good execution and good performances, as is always the case. Whereas Arteta, by contrast, was too predictable. Yeah, maybe. I, I think um, from Arteta's perspective, I mean, Arsenal pretty much play the same way every week. There are small alterations, but compared to Guardiola, it's it's pretty much the same system. And there are positives to that. And we've seen that from Arsenal throughout the season, that the understanding of the attacking players in that front five is is excellent. And part of that is because they play the same way every week. And I, I just don't think Arsenal are necessarily at the stage of their development where they can do that and then tweak things for big matches um, as well as Manchester City do. And I also think, I mean, City haven't played this way this season with, with that solid back four and two in front. They just haven't. So it's reasonable that Arteta wouldn't really have had a plan for that. And mm. I think we, we kind of did see that. Arsenal just looked confused on how to press the one thing I was surprised about was that and I've seen a lot of this over the last week in fact three games in a row I saw this happen is that the goalkeeper goes down gets a pretend injury and they have a team talk and they reorganize on the touchline I thought Mm -hmm. maybe one thing Arsenal could have done was just disrupt the game a bit and break it up and maybe yeah maybe reorganize on the fly because they didn't seem to have the solutions from the players on the pitch this season I think City built up with a 3-2 shape religiously every week. I can't remember the last time they built up with a 4-2. And there is a funny thing, like in in the last couple of weeks, I can't remember which game, Guardiola says, everyone knows how we play. And then in the biggest game of the season, he moves, he changes the build up to a 4-2 build up. So that's pure Guardiola. And from Arsenal's perspective, I think as well as doing tweaks, Arteta's hands was a bit tied because with Saliba out, pretty sure Saliba would move up to press De Bruyne better than holding and you also got Tomayasu out so the idea of having Ben White as a center back is a bit out of the equation now people are just suggesting for example Nelson as a right back and other examples but these are things that Arsenal haven't played at all this season so I thought 
they would go with the same formation that they did against in the last couple of games against Southampton, Liverpool and West Ham. Like a change this soon to the biggest game was really unexpected from me. And I think it's worth pointing out that obviously Arsenal were a little bit surprised that City didn't play with one of the defenders moving into central midfield. Usually that's been John Stones, but we have seen fullbacks doing it as well. But against Liverpool in that two draw, it was the reverse. That was the first time I think that Trent Alexander-Arnold had played that role. So yeah, maybe maybe uh, you know more experienced, successful managers have caught Arteta out a couple of times with, with surprise systems. And we haven't really, I don't think we've seen that many examples really of Arteta really making decisive in-game changes. And I think sometimes his substitutions in certain games have been a bit rash. I mean, I'd go back to the Manchester United game towards the start of the season when Arsenal actually played very well and were a little bit unfortunate to to be 2-1 down. And he really, I think, gambled a bit too early and took something away from Arsenal in terms of the cohesion. And Arsenal left the back door open and lost that game. I think generally the, the plan A has been very, very good from Arsenal this season, but we haven't necessarily seen that many tweaks. So for the most part there, Ahmed, we've spoken about Arsenal's shape without the ball and Manchester City and what they tweaked with it in order to to hurt Arsenal. And, and God knows they did in that first half. But the other way around, Arsenal with the ball, Manchester City out of possession, defending their goal, it was also very one-sided. In that first half, Arsenal only had two attempts total, one from range from Partey uh, and one a set piece, you know, half chance at best from, from Gabriel. So what was the tactical story with Manchester City out of possession also being able to, to dominate on that side of the game? As we know with City, uh, the shape out of possession is mainly a 4-4-2, but then they are just small stuff. For example, here I think the key was pushing uh, Bernardo Silva inside to mark Shaka and Diaz moving up towards Odegaard when Arsenal were trying to build up in their uh, 3-2 shape. So this allowed Gundogan and Rodri to move up and help press Arsenal's 3-2 build up with Grealish, De Bruyne and Haaland up front. There were some variations. For example, if Jesus was dropping too deep, Rodri would drop to pick him up. And if Zinchenko didn't invert and he held the line in the first half, Bernardo would keep his width. But the main thing was stopping Arsenal's box of uh, Zinchenko, Party, Shaka and Odegaard. And when you look at some of the key games for City this season, I think their pressing made the difference. And for all of their problems adapting on the ball, like from late October to late February, their pressing has been good all season long. What do we make of the changes that Arteta made at halftime? 2-0 down at that point with Stones having having put City 2-0 up just on the stroke of it. What were the adjustments made uh, and how did it go? Uh, Arteta changed something in the pressing. Instead of Odegaard pushing up to press Diaz, uh, it was Saka moving inside to position himself between Diaz and Akanji. And this way, Odegaard stayed with Chaka uh, on Gundo and Rodri, which allowed Party to be deeper to focus on De Bruyne, which was the problem in the first half. But the issue is that there were... Two big early mistakes. First, I think, from Gabriel. And then there was a mistake from uh, Odegaard in the build-up. So at 3-0, the game was over. And also, in possession, Arteta tried to ditch the inverted fullback a bit and move to some form of 4-2 build-up with Martinelli making some rooms inside early in the second half. But I thought Bernardo positioned himself so well that he could move inside if needed or press Zinchenko out wide if needed. Sounds like Bernardo, in terms of the out-of-possession staff, again, as as intelligent as ever and as as positive as ever for for Man City. Michael, of course, De Bruyne presumably getting the majority of the headlines for his 
two goals. The first one in particular, just sensational. But Haaland as well uh, was was so heavily involved before getting his goal right at the end. Th- those two as a combination. Is that the, the best we've seen those two together this season? Yeah, probably. And uh, I think I'm right saying De Bruyne had assisted eight of Haaland's goals, Premier League goals, before this game. So they already were basically the, the best combination in the league. But yeah, this was something a little bit different. De Bruyne almost playing as a a second striker. And I think even for the goal that came from a set piece, um, the second goal headed home by John Stones, if you look at where the free kick was was won from, it's quite interesting because it really tells the whole battle of the game. It shows Xhaka and Party pressing really high onto Gundogan and Rodri. It shows Odegaard not really knowing what his job was. And it shows Haaland making a run from in holding zone to being in Gabriel's zone. And that means De Bruyne can kind of make the reverse movement. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of when Guardiola's Bayern Munich went to the Emirates. And I think towards the end of the game, they played with two strikers. I can't remember who it would have been. Was it maybe Lewandowski and Muller, I think, played as a two. And just their movements were so good. The rotations, you know, they were they were playing as a two and they were really dragging Arsenal's centre-backs around. And it was a little bit like that. They clearly were told, look, one of you is going to start left and make a run to the right and the other will do the reverse. And... And because Arsenal were going man for man higher up the pitch, I think that was quite difficult for them to cope with. So, yeah, it was a bit different. And De Bruyne, I mean, I think De Bruyne's basically been the best player in the Premier League for quite a while. You know, the the one who, if you were building a team and you had first pick in the draft, you'd go for De Bruyne. But I sometimes think he hasn't, over the years, he hasn't kind of directly won big matches as much as you might expect for an attacking midfielder of his quality. And part of that is because he's very selfless and likes assisting. But... In two games now, he's opened the scoring against Arsenal this season with really good, well-taken goals and has then gone on to just dominate the game and assist others. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's always been a fantastic player, but I think this is, uh, maybe this is his best season, actually, because he's had the consistency, but also in the big games, he's been the, the best player as well. And there's probably two things, Ahmed, that KDB the best in the world at, or at the very least, right in the conversation. One of them is the deep crossing from sort of inside channels that he's become so famous for for so long. But also, and maybe we get to see this now a little bit more with with City having tweaked their style, are these moments of of transition where he is running things on the counter-attack where, well, Pep Guardiola has said very publicly, he is the best in the world in this kind of, of running and, and in transition. What is it about his game that makes him the best? Yeah, I think on transitions, like his pace with the, with the ball is incredible. And before that, he consistently scans around him to know where the space is. So once he gets the ball and they are on the transition, he can run into that space. On the ball, I think he's faster on the ball than without the ball. And complementing all of this, I think his off-ball movement in anticipating the transition. So there is a, there's a good example in the Leeds game away at Ellen Road. I think it was towards the end of December. He moves into space before Gundogan actually controls the ball. So before the transition starts, he moves into space. So this anticipation of where to move before the transition starts puts him in, in the right place when the transition is on. Are there any other individuals that we need to touch on? I mean, Holland's been mentioned, but... Michael, the the deafness of his of his touches in bringing De Bruyne into play at key moments and some of the link play in general that reflects pretty well on a a player that is still very young and and has things to develop and seems to be working pretty hard on them. You know, most of the season he hasn't had someone playing that close to him, and so you know it's a different 
it's not necessarily a different skill set, but he's being asked to do different things, and he absolutely stepped up last night. Uh, there, w- there was one moment of selfishness, shall we say, where De Bruyne was on for the for the square ball, which would have given him, you know, a very very easy chance. De Bruyne instead dribbling two defenders and still getting a pretty good chance away. But put it this way, I'm sure Guardiola will be very pleased and impressed with his his output there. Yeah, I think in some big games this season, Haaland's shown more variety to his game than we've maybe associated with him. Um, I think he's actually quite good at coming deep. He's not necessarily the player who's going to be spraying passes in behind the opposition like Harry Kane does, but I think he has varied his his movement and his positioning quite well. And I actually think he's a better all-round player than, for example, Sergio Aguero was in Guardiola's first campaign. I always thought Aguero was much more one-dimensional than people thought. And Guardiola didn't really take to him at first. It took him a couple of years, really, I think, to improve Aguero's all-round game. And I think he can do the same with Haaland. Um, you know, we discussed on this podcast before about what the next step, what the next evolution is for Guardiola's City because they never stand still. And maybe yesterday showed it. Maybe maybe next season they might play a little bit more often with the front two. Maybe Haaland will be coming deep and someone will be going in behind him a little bit more. There's, there's certainly more variety to his game than we've maybe uh, talked about this season. Yeah, in addition to that, I think his off-ball game is great. Not only in terms of making runs, actually in terms of like when City are defending or City are pressing, he's always pressing with the right angles. He He's not slacking at all. He always has a job in City's pressing scheme that we spoke about. So yeah, this aspect of his pressing game is not talked about at all, but he executes it at the top level, I think. Well, it was an amazing performance from City. Even before the game, Michael, it, it felt like we were heading into this with City riding the crest of a wave on absolutely ridiculous form. The only game that they haven't won and won with relative comfort recently was a, a second leg against Bayern Munich. Whereas Arsenal, in their recent form, had looked maybe like they were treading water somewhat and throwing away some leads. Uh, it it kind of went to form, right? So is as we are now, is the gulf between these two teams as big as it looked last night? Clearly, it hasn't been for the whole season, but we're at the business end now. City haven't played this well all season, let's be fair. They, they took a while to get to this level. And I do actually think Arsenal's plan A can compete with City's plan A. Uh, I think Arsenal have been brilliant for most of this campaign. But yeah, when it came to a bit of tactical variety and a little bit of um, you know being able to tweak things, they just weren't quite up to it. And I think that's to be honest, I think it's basically fair enough at this stage of Arsenal's development. Uh, we didn't expect them to be challenging for the title. And uh, yeah, it's something they'll have to improve in uh, in future seasons. And Michael, the treble still very much on. This result means that, as I mentioned earlier, with, with the models or the bookmakers' odds, Manchester City now perceived as having something like a 90% chance of winning the Premier League title. Uh, they're in the FA Cup final against Manchester United and, of course, the Champions League uh, semi-finals as well uh, how yeah, how much do you fancy them to succeed with this battle for the treble um they've got a good chance i'd still say odds against they'll surely win the premier league title now the fa cup game i'd say maybe 75 percent chance in the champions league obviously still semi-finals they've got to get past real madrid so i still think it'd be tough if i had to guess i'd say they will probably fall short in in one of the two cup competitions but yeah, they've got every chance. I mean, it's a really, really good opportunity for them now. If they do win the Premier League, it'll be their fifth title in six seasons and it'll be the first time the title has been won three times in a row since Manchester United did so in the late 2000s. So 
is there a, a big take or a big discussion to be had at this stage if they do win the league about the competitiveness of the Premier League and you know for want of a better phrase words like farmers league may, maybe being leveled at the uh, at the top tier of English football well there is a problem with competitiveness uh, there is across European football five and six years is not unprecedented in the English game we saw that with Manchester United and while I would certainly like to see more variety of winners I think it's important to remember that Two of those titles they won on the final day from Liverpool, who pushed them hard on, on two occasions. And this season, I mean, they're still not top yet with uh, seven games to go or whatever it is. So we're not quite seeing the kind of regular 20, 30 point margins at the top of the league that I think become a real issue. But yeah, there's a competitiveness that stretches far beyond just who is winning the title. You know, there's other leagues where it's just purely financial. You know, Bayern Munich and PSG, like, that is the main reason. Obviously, City have had lots of financial investment. But the finances of the top clubs is relatively similar in terms of wage bills and spending. And I think by some measures, City aren't top at all. So I do think they deserve some credit for the footballing side of things as well. I don't think it's as much of a foregone conclusion in the Premier League as it is in some other leagues. Ahmed, Pep's been entertaining us, keeping you as tactics writers busy for, for many, many years now. But the last month or so has to be right up there in terms of how his teams have looked, the swagger with which they've played, the the tactical tweaks that have made a difference. And he's pretty playful in the press conferences at the moment as well. It feels like he himself, although this seems like a weird thing to say, is in great form at the moment. Yeah, exactly. And I think in... Um... In the Pep Evolution podcast that uh, you, Michael, Mark, um, and John did, there is a, a great point. I can't remember who rose it up. I think it was you, Michael. We've seen Pep's adaptability and changing to his team. So first it was Sani and Sterling out wide, then with the inversion of Cancelo and playing with a force nine, and the adaptation to a more physical team with uh, four centre-backs and playing into space and using Haaland and focus on pressing this season. So I think this is a big part in, in the evolution, as you said in the podcast. And it's something that really goes like away from the narrative. Everyone thinks that Pep has a style that he commits to. I think also John spoke about it, that he's really pragmatic to the quality of the players he has and how the opponent is going to play. 7-2 on aggregate in the Premier League games between Manchester City and Arsenal uh, this season. Manchester City in the driving seat for the Premier League title after their 4-1 win against Arsenal on Wednesday night. Massive thank you to Ahmed and to Michael for breaking it down for me. We did the evolution of Pep just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, please do listen to that and subscribe to this podcast feed. Uh, we got tons of, of previous episodes which are not tied to uh, you know, topical games or tied to the week in which they were recorded. So we hope that maybe as the summer approaches, you'll go back through the back catalogue and enjoy the body of work that we put together over the last uh, three and a half years now. You can sign up today at theathletic.com forward slash tactics and you'll pay £1 a month for the first 12 months of your annual subscription. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll go again next week. The Athletic.